Bristol. Congratulations to Sam and Sandy Holt sitting in the middle in the back. They had their 60th wedding anniversary this week, and uh, that is worthy of congratulations. And uh, I got to be a part of a little bit of their celebration, and uh, so we're glad to see you guys here today. And, uh, you know, I think there's value in every single Sunday. We generally get about 52 of them a year. I think they're really important, but there's a special place in my heart for these Sundays that lead us into Christmas. I think they're incredibly important, and we have prayed and prepared in the hopes that we'd have some services that would be a great blessing to you. We want to encourage Christians, but we also want to evangelize those who've yet to meet Jesus, and we've got great opportunities for that. John mentioned it, but next Sunday really is the highlight of our Christmas season, and uh, we're going to have our special Christmas musical. I will be preaching the gospel next Sunday, of course. Uh, We've got a lot going on for the children and more, and as you leave today in the lobby, there's going to be a whole bunch of invitations that look like this, and I really believe one of the signs that we have an attitude of gratitude towards the gift of Jesus Christ is our willingness not to hoard him for ourselves, but to share him with others. And so I hope as you leave today, you'll pick up a stack of these flyers and invite people. If you have any part at all next week in the program, you have the special privilege of saying, hey, come next week and listen to me sing. And uh, that'll be a good way to get friends here. And it's going to be a fantastic time. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. And I hope that you'll be in prayer uh, that God would use that in, in a great way. Last week, we began a new teaching series that we entitled The Way in the Manger. We thought of the song, Away in a Manger, but we learned that when you look in the manger, you find Jesus. And Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we began this study, The Way in the Manger. And we discovered in our study that God told us that the manger was a sign. It was a sign. It was a symbol. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. If you would, go back with me today to the New Testament Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up in this same passage, continuing to look at the manger. Now, people of faith have long loved symbols and signs. In fact, in the first century, those followers of Jesus, they loved that fish-shaped sign. Maybe you've seen that fish logo on a bumper sticker or elsewhere. And, And that was the favorite symbol for Christians in the first century to identify themselves. And that simple symbol had a meaning. It referred to this statement, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That was a symbol that told people who they were and what they believed. They believed that Jesus Christ was God the Son to the glory of the Father, and that symbol meant much to them. About the third century, Christians began to develop other symbols. I think the cross would be the most notable. It came later. In fact, it was a little bit controversial. Some didn't understand why would you make a symbol of the cross, but but for them it represented the great message of Jesus, how he came to die for us. And And we have learned that the manger is a sign. It's a sign we saw in our study of Christ's commitment, of his care, and of his compassion to us. He came in such humility, and it reminds us all that we are welcome to come to him. Now, in this study today, I want us to see that the manger also speaks. Now, it doesn't utter a word, but it's possible to communicate truth without saying a word and and the manger tells quite a story of god's love for each of us and if we just continue in our study by focusing on the manger i believe we're going to see some profound truths that can help us not only to make the most of this season but will help us in the course of our lives 
If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to God's Word together. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 where the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you, if you would, to take note of the expression of verse 7 where the Bible says, laid him in a manger. Laid him in a manger. Our Father, we're thankful today that when we open the Bible, we're opening a living book that you've inspired for us, you've preserved it. And God, we know that as we study by way of your Spirit helping us, you can reveal to us the truths that we need right now that will help us to live for you. Uh, open our hearts in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. If you were to ask my family, they would all tell you. They would tell you that I love family vacations and I love family vacations for all the reasons you'd expect it's fun to get away it's fun to take a break a change of scenery for a moment but honestly from the bottom of my heart what I love most about family vacations is the opportunity to make memories with my family some people have experiences I try to make memories I want to do everything I can to make that time away as memorable as it can possibly be in fact when our girls were little we had a family vacation coming up where we were going to go to hawaii and in the morning we'd read the bible together and then i would get out the ultimate guidebook to Kauai, and we would read a chapter out of the ultimate guidebook just to help get them excited i wanted to make it as big as it could possibly be I've kind of made it my hobby to plan our times away and to prepare for every detail. And, and uh, again, it wouldn't be uncommon for us to talk about an upcoming trip for literally months beforehand. I remember one summer vacation, I'd been over every detail, and it was going to be a two-week vacation. The first week, we were going to go to Colorado, where my family's from, and spend time with our, our family there, and we did that. And I love my family. I'd imagine you love your family as well. But how many of you know what I mean when I say, it's not exactly relaxing spending a week with your family? Any of you with me on that one? I love them. I like them. But really, about three, four days, that's about it. By the end of a week, I'm like, all right, it's time to move on. And so we had that first week, and it was all good but we were looking forward to the second week and, and we were going to come home through Phoenix and uh, this was in July or August we we're going to come home through Phoenix and spend a week there now I should probably give you the little caveat here Phoenix in July or August is kind of like visiting the surface of the sun okay it's not a good time to go to Phoenix however if you're a bargain hunter there are some great deals to be had as you go to the fiery uh, furnace of Phoenix and so that's what we did we made our way there and uh, we were all excited. We got out of the car after about a six-hour drive from the farm in Colorado, and we pulled into the lobby of this hotel, and everybody was excited, obviously, to get out of the car, but, but my girls could see the pool as we pulled up, and they were excited about that, and we were excited about a week together with just our immediate family. 
So I stood at the reception desk there. Uh, the, the lady who was helping me came, and, and she said, checking in. I said, yes, I am. And she said, your name? I said, Chapel, Steve Chapel, two P's and two L's in Chapel. And uh, she started typing, and she typed some more. And she typed some more, and she just kept typing away. And I remember thinking, this is an awful lot of typing just for a simple check-in, you know. And uh, she continued to type, and I could sense there's, there's a problem here. After a few moments, she said, I- I'm sorry, Mr. Chapel, I don't have a reservation for you. Well, I thought for a split second, and I said, sure you do. I made it a while back. Why don't you check again? Chapel, two P's, two L's. And she went back, and she checked Again, still no record of our reservation. Now, I'm a pretty calm guy, at least on the outside. On the inside, there's no telling what's going on. But on the outside, I'm generally pretty calm. And, and uh, yet, I started to feel a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure building because uh, I had put so much into the preparation and I make such a big deal of these moments and I wanted it to be great for the family and, and I sensed something wrong was happening. This lady continued to look with no success. I thought, all right, I'll, I'll make a point because uh, I'm a nervous traveler. I always print everything out. So I opened my bag and pulled out the paper copy of the reservation that I'd printed uh, when I made it online. And, and so I put the paper down on the counter with all the joy of an attorney who just gave the evidence that's going to mean he's going to win the case. And, and she takes the paper and I look at my wife who I'm sure at this point is thinking, Steve, you're the man. You are a boss. You have it under control. And uh, she looks at my paper and she said, oh, Mr. Chapel, this reservation is for next week, okay? So I did a lot of detailed planning, but I missed one of the more important details of making a reservation, like when you need the reservation to be made. Now, that was a disappointment. Uh, I can't tell you how long I poured over the details of our trip, and I still miss something so basic. Now, imagine had I been tasked with the job of putting that first Christmas together. No doubt, I would have messed the whole thing up. But how many of you agree with me today that God is a much better planner than I am? You people are mean, all right? You could have had a little less enthusiasm there. But yeah, we all know God is certainly a much better planner than I am. And I'm grateful for that. And so we know that when we study the details of the narrative of the birth of Jesus, nothing is an accident. You see, more than 700 years before Jesus was even born, we know that God spoke to his prophets who then shared with the people elements of the place and so forth of his birth. That was 700 years before Jesus was born. You see, in eternity past, God was already thinking of you and thinking of the plan of salvation. And and this was not something that just was thrown together at the last moment. And so he spoke through his prophets. More than two years before Jesus was born, God put an unusual star in the sky that caught the attention of some people that studied the stars. And that led to the journey the wise men made. God was at work. Every detail was carefully crafted by the wisdom of an all-knowing God. The display of the angels was impeccably choreographed by a God who gave attention to the minutest of details, the taxation of Caesar. Not an accident. Caesar thought he was the man, but God was the one who was calling the shots. Even the inn at Bethlehem being full, that was not an accident, an oversight. I'm saying today, God didn't forget to make the reservation. It was all a part of his plan and the manger serving as the first cradle for our lord and savior jesus christ that wasn't the result of god overlooking a detail if we see the manger as just a piece of furniture in the christmas narrative 
we would be missing out on the fact that God and his wisdom and according to his sovereign plan foreordained that his son would be laid in a manger. Why did God choose the manger as a sign and what does that sign say to us? Several thoughts I'll share with you this morning. Here's the first element. I want you to see that the manger speaks of rejection. The manger speaks of rejection. How many of your parents here this morning? Got some parents in the room. Yeah, some of you are too tired to raise your hand. You know, you just kind of nodded a little bit. And, uh, uh, it, oh, I love being a dad. And, and uh, now, of course, got little Callie, so I'm loving being a granddad. I, I love all of it. But, but if you're here today and you're a parent, you, you'll know what I'm about to tell you. It's not unique to me and Lisa. It's a part of your experience as well. When, when you welcomed a baby, uh, you were preparing to leave the hospital. You were never more careful to make sure that car seat was locked in the right way. You spent all the time to get it just exactly right, and you carefully placed that little baby in the car seat and, and locked him or her in there, and you drove home more carefully than you'd ever driven before. I mean, hands at 10 and 2, you were making sure you were paying attention. You did the best you possibly could. You got home, and you had a place, maybe a room prepared for your baby, a nursery, and you would have had a crib with the softest blankets that you could possibly find. And here... We find God the Father orchestrating the events of the birth of His Son. And He provided a manger, a feeding trough for animals to be the place to which He would be laying. His nursery was a stable. Imagine with me how it was that Jesus came to be laid in a manger. Yes, it was the Father's plan. But practically, how did it happen? It happened because they arrived at Bethlehem and they had nowhere to stay. In fact, in verse 7 in this passage, the Bible says of Mary that she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I, I think the most practical answer, why did Jesus have to be laying in a manger? Because, the Bible says, there was no room for them in the inn. That's why. Now, I'm not sure that I'm ready today to tell you that the innkeeper was absolutely a horrible person. I think sometimes he gets a bad rap in the Christmas story. I think the innkeeper had an inn that was sold out, and if it's sold out, it's sold out. But how many of you would think, maybe in that situation, if you saw a lady who was getting ready to burst, she was ready to have a baby at any moment, it seems as though somebody would have stepped up and said, hey, you stay here. Uh, I'll make sure you're more comfortable than I am. Maybe traded places, but that's, that's not what happened. The fact that Jesus was laying in a manger, it does speak of rejection. Upon Jesus' birth, there was no real greeting party. His arrival didn't draw the attention of the royalty of the day. The, the press wasn't there to take pictures and to get quotes from those who were witnesses. Not even the priests from Jerusalem that would have had the prophecies that God had given came. And they certainly would have had the opportunity to have known. And, and all of that speaks of a rejection that was present not only at the birth of Jesus... But throughout the life of Jesus, he endured this for a lifetime. When Isaiah wrote of Jesus in the Old Testament to tell us what his life would be like, he, he said it this way in Isaiah 53. He said of Jesus, he is despised and rejected. He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not as John introduced Jesus to us in the pages of the Gospel of John, he begins this way in John chapter 1, verse 11. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. This was rejection. 
The Bible even reveals to us that Jesus' family rejected him. Later in John's gospel, the Bible says in John 7 and verse 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. In Mark's gospel, we read this in Mark 3 and verse 21. The Bible says, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. His friends literally said, he's nuts. He's out of his mind. The ultimate rejection. And I want you to think in your life in a time when you've been rejected. And imagine with me how you felt in the midst of that rejection. I remember when our church was just about 76 weeks old, we had an opportunity to purchase our first property. It was actually the building right down the hill from us. And uh, we were so very excited about that. And uh, we, we began and we were glad to set up and tear down after every service, but the chance to set up shop and have it in one place and have a church office. And it was, it was a big step for our church. And, and I remember we knew about how much a down payment would be. And we made sure as a church to prepare for that. And I began to speak to various banks about receiving a loan. And as we went through that, uh, I heard no, 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 more than 20 times I was turned down. You see, we didn't have enough time under our belt to have uh, been established and so we were rejected and i remember every time i heard that no i just felt a little bit lower a little bit less than and and uh, thank god finally someone said yes but you see we all know what it is to have people look at us to assess us to survey us and to come to the conclusion for you no we know what it is in a family situation to just long for that acceptance from that family member and it doesn't come we, we know what it is in the course of our careers at times to just be rejected and, and overlooked. It's a difficult thing. There are a few things in life as difficult as facing rejection. It seems to hurt us, me, at a cellular level. I mean, it hurts on every level. It just seems to hurt from the inside out and from the outside back in. It's a difficult thing. In fact, this idea of rejection, it leads young people and old people alike to go to bizarre extremes just to try and fit in so we don't have to feel that pain of being ostracized and pushed out. But Jesus was born into a world that rejected him from the very beginning. And his rejection was for the purpose of providing for our acceptance by God through faith. The second element we'll see as we move on, not only does the manger speak of rejection, the manger speaks of redemption. If you're still with me, say amen. In our last study, we considered the fact that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and we took the time to understand that babies, when they were born in this time, uh, it, it was not uncommon for them not to even live to their first birthday. It was a harsh world in many ways. And so mothers would take strips of cloth and wrap each arm and each leg and then wrap them all together. And, and we talked about how that was done to keep the child warm and safe. And, and, and we talked about the fact that those cloths were kind of reminiscent of the process through which someone would go when they were prepared for burial. And we saw a beautiful picture in that sign. But but we find another message when we consider the manger. You see, the sheep were a big part of the local economy. We know that the shepherds were in the region and that care for their animals was important. In fact, I believe a strong case could be made that the shepherds that were there near Bethlehem in the hills there were adjacent to Jerusalem. And I believe the sheep that they were caring for, many of them would have made their way into Jerusalem for the purpose of serving as sacrificial lambs in the temple. 
And so uh, shepherds and sheep were just a big part of, of all that was happening there. And, and yet Jesus, God the Son, was laid in a manger which would have served the purpose of being a feeding trough for sheep. And that was no accident. There was a point to be made from all of this. You see, Jesus himself has been likened unto a lamb. Mary did have a little lamb. And his name was Jesus. John the Baptist introduced Jesus. And John said it this way in John 1 and verse 29. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Old Testament system of worship, lambs were sacrificed for the atonement of sin. And that process was repeated each year to the point that that, uh, that, that that time when God would come and pay for the entire debt from our collective sin would, would be pictured in it all. And, and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the one payment for the sin debt of mankind. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, he said, For he hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And friends, when you think about it, there was no more appropriate place to lay the newborn Son of God than in a manger. It fit perfectly. It speaks loudly of who He is as the Lamb of God. It spoke loudly of what He would do of becoming the sacrifice for sin. It testifies to the salvation He provided through his sacrifice on the cross. That leads to the third thought I'll share with you this morning. The manger speaks of Jesus' reach. Of Jesus' reach. Quite a few years ago, when George W. Bush was the president, I was invited to attend a function where he would be speaking. And uh, I was excited to be in the same room of someone of that caliber and you know, just to kind of experience it all. So I uh, excitedly accepted the invitation, and uh, I went. This particular meeting was held in in L.A., and uh, I drove, and I parked where they said where to park. And uh, as I left the parking area, they had a place where you had to go and show identification to verify your name was on the list, and you passed uh, through from there. I thought, okay, I can now have access to the President of the United States. I've proven who I am. It's been verified. My name is on the list, and and, uh, so I kept walking. And uh, as I walked and got closer to the building, there was another check you had to go through. And there they had uh, metal devices, you know, to check for uh, if you have weapons and so forth. And they had wands. And I had to go through a whole nother process to finally get in the room. And as I got in the room, I thought, now I can mingle with the president. I was really excited for him to meet me, you know. I wanted to get in there and uh, rub shoulders with him. And I got in the room and we, we stood for this particular event. He came in and he spoke. And when he was done speaking, I was pretty near the front. But I thought, I'm going to step all the way up to the front so that I can meet the president. And as I stepped forward, as you might expect, there was a rope line. And that rope line told me, this is as far as you go, buddy. You stop here. Had I ignored the rope line, there were some secret service agents that would have reminded me who I am and where I am not supposed to go. But uh, I I had to come to understand that that the president, he's visible, not altogether accessible. And of course, we all understand that for security reasons and so forth. But Jesus Christ, God the Son, arrived as he did to let us know we are all welcome into his presence. And it would help our understanding to realize that shepherds, the ones to whom he spoke, shepherds who came to to be the first witnesses 
They were considered the low-class people of the day. In fact, they were notorious for being liars and cheaters. If, you, if your occupation was that of a shepherd, you weren't even allowed to be a witness in a legal proceeding. It was just understood. You were not reliable. In our day and age, that'd mean they'd be exempt even from jury duty. I mean, you just couldn't trust the judgment of these people. Even worse for them, they were considered impure uh, religiously. They weren't even allowed to go in the temple. These ones who were caring for the lambs that would make their way into the temple, the lambs got to go in, but they had to stay outside. Why do you think God went to the shepherds first? This first group the Lord reached out to was the very group that others would have left off the list. He reached to the down and outer, if you would. And this simple gesture was saying, I'm here for one, I'm here for all, I, I welcome everybody. As the song was sung earlier so beautifully, Jesus loves me. I think of John 3, 16, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says God so loved the world. That's an all-encompassing term to refer to you and to refer to me. There are no exceptions and there are no qualifications given. Throughout the life of Jesus, he often spoke of this. For example, he said in John 6 and verse 37, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He said, I won't refuse anyone who comes to me in faith. In the book of the Revelation, we read these words, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Listen, in the clearest terms possible throughout the gospel narrative, God tells us, hey, anybody that comes to Jesus in faith, there is no barrier, there is no obstacle, there is no rope line. You are welcomed into his presence. You see, the manger speaks of the reach of Jesus that extends to us all. You see, the nativity scene, it really speaks of rejection. But his rejection provides for our acceptance. His redemption provides for our salvation. His reach declares that we are, are all welcome to come to Christ in faith. Years ago, I had a friend whose job kept him on the road just about all the time, traveling all the time. And uh, we were talking about his trips and where he'd been and what was coming up next. And he said, yeah, uh, I'm leaving next week. Uh, I've got to go to Hawaii for work. And he seemed disappointed by that. And I always thought going to Hawaii would be a good thing. And uh, I said, oh, boy, well, at least, you, at least you're going to Hawaii. He said, you know, when you're going for work, it's just not the same. It doesn't matter where I go. I don't get excited about it anymore. And I thought, well, man alive, uh, I'd be excited about going to Hawaii. And uh, he said, Steve, listen. He said, I travel so much, I've earned more frequent flyer uh, miles and more points with a, a hotel than I could ever possibly use. He said, let me send you and Lisa to Hawaii. I'd love to do that. He said, I do it for family members all the time. He said, I've just got more points than I could ever possibly use. And, and I thought that was very kind, but it made me feel uncomfortable. And I said, that was super nice of you to offer. I appreciate it. It means the world. But man, you don't need to do that. In fact, I'd even feel kind of, kind of weird about it. I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. And that was the end of our, of our conversation. I remember a couple weeks later getting a Christmas card from this friend. And in the Christmas card was a couple pieces of paper. They were 
papers indicating that he had transferred into Lisa and I's name the sky miles necessary to take the trip and the points with the hotel uh, so we could stay in a nice hotel. And he said something to the effect in that card. He said, Steve, the decision on whether or not to give this gift is mine, not yours. The decision to accept it is up to you. He was saying, I'll, I'll give what I want to give. And he was saying, it's up to you whether or not you accept it. How many of you agree with me? It would just be a crying shame to waste a free trip to Hawaii. Yes. So we went. Had a splendid time. It was great. It was Pro Bowl week. I met every Pro Bowler. and It was unbelievable. Chris Berman in the elevator. Remember that? It was like a highlight for me. She said, Who, who's he? You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. It was a fantastic trip. He said, it's up to me to decide what I'll give. It's up to you to decide what you'll receive. I think in a sense, that's precisely what the Lord has done for us. He made every provision so that we, who are imperfect because of our sin, can come to Him in faith. And we can be spiritually saved, forgiven of all of our sin, given a purpose in life, and know that we have a home secured for us in heaven when this physical life is over. God said, listen, I've made the decision. I crafted all the details of the Christmas narrative, and they were all important, and they all tell you a story. They speak of my love. They speak of my care. They speak of the provision for spiritual salvation with wisdom and insight that only God possesses. It was ordained that God the Son would be born and laid in a manger. It communicates His love. Without saying a word, the manger speaks. It says, I came for you. I endured all the rejection for you. I died and rose again for you. And you are welcome to come to me in faith and receive my free gift of eternal life. I don't think any of us can look at the manger and walk away unchanged. Maybe you're here today and God has extended that free gift. I would say what a shame it would be to miss the free gift of salvation that we receive simply by faith. Maybe you're here as a believer today and it's been a while since you've considered the enormity of the love of God that extended all the way to you. A love that would prompt us to seek to follow Him to obey him Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments he never said I'll love you if you keep my commandments his love is settled but he said that's how you express your love to me you you get in the book and let the book get in you and then you you live it out in your lives God forbid that any of us would saunter with a cavalier approach to the Christmas season and have zero impact on us at all because there's something for every one of us this Christmas our Father, we're very grateful to have opened your word and read familiar words and to have had the opportunity to have a fresh look at the meaning of it all. God, I pray that the truth of this would be reverberating in hearts and minds. I pray that, God, the Spirit, you would, would take these truths and drive them deep into our hearts. Lord, I think of those in the Christmas story of whom you wrote. They pondered these things. I pray that we would ponder them. We would muse on them. We would think on them. God, may all of us today be led to spiritual decision because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. May change come because you came. Help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed this morning. Maybe you're here, you'd say, Pastor, those are very familiar words, Luke 2, 1 through 7. 
Christmas is a pretty familiar topic, but maybe you'd say, Pastor, as we revisited that, there was something for me in that message today that I think was helpful. There was a verse read, a statement made, an application from it all. But I wonder how many of you here today would say, Pastor, there was something for me in this service today. Are there those who'd be willing just to lift a hand briefly, say, Pastor, there was value in my presence in this room today. Thank you so much. You may put your hands down. That's wonderful. When we consider the extent to which God went to bring us his love, and to provide for salvation, it should stir us not just to a mental awareness of it all, but to a visceral response that says, God, you came to live and you died for me. And through your death, I can live. Help me now to live for you. I wonder how many of you today would say, you know, Pastor, when I look at Christmas the way we talked about this morning, it really does call me to evaluate my life and make sure that my decisions and attitudes and actions are consistent with someone who would profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder, are there those this morning by the testimony, just a raised hand, Pastor, there was a truth for me in this message I think would encourage me in my Christian walk. Thank you so much. You may put your hands down. As I said in the closing, God, like the friend that so graciously extended that free gift to me and Lisa God has done all that needs to be done for us to have the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of spiritual salvation in him but it would be possible to know of that gift and not receive it the Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that word shall means no doubt about it and that is the way you receive this gift from God at Christmas you you receive it by faith you acknowledge that we all fall short because of our sin and you acknowledge that Jesus is indeed God the Son he was born of a virgin and that he lived a life he was without sin he died on the cross he was buried and three days later he victoriously literally bodily rose again from the dead and we in our hearts we say God I want to turn from my life from my sin to you in faith today I wonder how many in this room would say, Pastor, as you've talked about Christmas, that's kind of what's stirring in my heart. I'm just not sure I have that kind of relationship with God. And man, if I could know that, I'd be glad to know that. I wonder, are there any in the privacy of this moment? You just lift a hand real quick and say, Pastor, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just not sure I have that relationship with God. Are there those this morning? Just lift your hand. Pastor, you can pray for me. You can pray for me. Thank you. Maybe there are other spiritual decisions in need of being made. You've been saved and not yet scripturally baptized. Or maybe God is putting on your heart a desire to unite with the Coastline family here and serve the Lord with us. And if that would be God's will for your life, we would rejoice with you in that. Hey, there's something for all of us this Christmas. We, we don't want to hit January the same way we head into this season. Would y'all be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Our heads are still bowed in a spirit of prayer. In a moment, the music's going to continue to play. Ryan's going to begin to sing. But during that time, I want this to be our time of prayer. A time of prayer where we can say, God, thank you for what you've done. Jesus, thank you for who you are, for coming. Maybe it would be a time today to say, Lord, would you help me to live for you? May my response to your gift of salvation be appropriate. May it be obedience to that which you'd have for me. And if there's a spiritual decision in need of being made in your life, this would be the perfect time for it. I'll be here in the front, and if you'd say today, hey, I'm not sure 
that I have that relationship with God. I, I, I said I'd pray for you and I will, but if you'd like for me to pray with you at this time, it would be my honor to do so. So as the music continues to play and Ryan begins to sing, let's make our seat a place of prayer and talk to God about what he's spoken to us about today.